guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And this is No Limits, a Mid-Trap podcast. So what are you up to this week, Mike? So I know we like sharing our golf updates. I got out today. <laughs> nice. What'd you shoot? I got out for a round of nine, and it was pretty good. It is an easy local course that I got used to, but um, I was three over. Nice. How about you? How you doing? I'm doing good. I haven't got out this week. I'm going Saturday, so um, been really busy with with work, trying to get a paper published. So, but yeah, things have been good. All right. Yeah, I got fitted for a putter too. I'm like so was so excited. I can't wait for it to come in the mail. Fitted for a club. You know how I buy all my clubs? eBay. eBay. <laughs> I don't think I've ever bought a regular price or a new club. Probably a good way to go. Can't put money into these things. <laughs> Speaking of money, we got a new patron. <laughs> nice. Nice. Welcome. Yes, we are really happy to have a new patron, Sarah J, also known as Baseball Mom 326. She's on Twitter at SHJulian, J U L I E N. Does she like baseball? And I think she might. I think she might. We should ask her uh, what her, her team is. What her is. team is. Hope it's the Nats. But she has one son who plays college baseball as a senior. Oh, nice. And one who is going to be a future Marine. Awesome. She's also married to a former Marine. And so we thank you, Sarah, for being a patron of the podcast. And more importantly, we thank your family for their service and their sacrifice. Yes, we do. Also, uh, speaking of Patreon... We have to pick a winner for our first book giveaway. Bah, 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 giveaway. <laughs> it is it is time. You know, it's the beginning of August. So we are going to take all of our patrons who signed up during the month of July and put them in a raffle for a signed copy of Separation of Power. And we're going to be covering Separation of Power in October. Right. Got to get that book out so you can read it. Yep, yep. So I use this app called Wheel of Names. It was recommended by one of our followers, Todd A. So thank you, Todd. Let's do it, huh? All right. Drum roll, please. All right. Here we go. I got the little spinner set up. Three, two, one, spin. And the winner is... Catherine C. Cat C. Boom. She is Cat our C. winner. Catherine, thank you for being a patron. We will get your Vince Flynn autographed copy of Separation of Power in the mail to you this week. Boom. Congratulations, Catsy. All right. Thanks for being a patron. Yes, indeed. Just so you know, you too can join this elite group and become an agent or a special agent of the show. And just like Catsy, our this month's winner, uh, Ray M and Jeff P., um, you can do this by clicking the little orange button on our website, mitrabpod.com, to support us on Patreon. All right, great. So let's get into it. What content are we covering today, Chris? Right. So we are taking a break from our order of how we're reading the books, and in part of our road to total power we thought it would be a good idea to skip back to last year's mitrap novel uh, lethal agent that came out last september and so today we're going to be covering the fifth book by kyle mills because you know total power picks up 
pretty much right after where Lethal Agent ends, so we thought it'd be a, a good book to get you guys in the mood for Total Power if you haven't read, read Lethal Agent or you want to reread it, so that way you're ready to go when Total Power comes out next month on September 15th. And so today we're going to be going over the plot and a couple of scenes that we, we thought we, we wanted to highlight, and then next Monday... We'll be releasing our second part of the podcast where we'll be doing our ratings, review of the book, as well as breaking down some of the themes. All right. So Lethal Agent, great book. I enjoyed it. And on Goodreads, it has a score of 4.36. And here's the summary that you can find on the Goodreads app. A toxic presidential election is underway in an America already badly weakened by internal divisions. While politicians focus entirely on maintaining their own power and privilege, ISIS kidnaps a brilliant French microbiologist and forces him to begin manufacturing anthrax. Slickly produced videos chronicling his progress and threatening an imminent attack are posted to the internet, intensifying the hysteria gripping the U.S. ISIS recruits a Mexican drug cartel to smuggle the bioweapon across the border, but it's really just a diversion. The terrorist organization needs to keep Mitch Rapp and Irene Kennedy distracted long enough to weaponize a deadly virus that they stumbled upon in Yemen. If they succeed, they'll trigger a pandemic that could rewrite the world order. Rapp embarks on a mission to infiltrate the Mexican cartels and track down the ISIS leader, who he failed to kill during their last confrontation. But with Washington's political elite increasingly lined up against him, he knows he'll be on his own. I like that summary a lot. Yeah. So we start off the book with a dedication by Mills to sort of everyone who's involved in, you know, making his books. Emily Bessler, Sloan Harris, Laura Jones, uh, David Brown, Ryan Steck, rapologist, uh, his mom and his wife. And so it just a nice little dedication to everyone in his life who makes these books possible. I thought that was nice. Yeah. Once again, great dedication. What is kind of cool is... Especially because, you know, we recently did Transfer of Power, we now get a very similar author's note to what we got there. Not only the sensitivity of how easy it is or the how you would uh, cross the border of Mexico, he's eliminating some of those details, as well as he's omitting or obscuring details about anthrax production, which, you know, both of these things he sort of goes in depth on. And again, I just think this is a great tactic that sort of hooks you in and, and knows that like you're allows the reader to feel like they're on this ride. You know, it's so real, it's so in depthly researched that he has to, you know, not give you the full picture. I enjoyed you know, reading that in the beginning. All right, and then we move into the prelude, which it's kinda nice. It's keeping the story moving with the scene. Uh, we're familiar yes. about from a few books in the past. Actually, uh, I read the scene and I was like, wait, am I reading the right book? Because I was reading it on my Kindle first and then I started using the audiobook. So when I started reading it, I was like, wait, did I pick the right book? It was Enemy yeah, of the State. Exactly. And that was, that was before Red War? Yeah, so two books ago. So it starts out with Rap coming across a cavern filled with high-ranking members of ISIS in northern Iraq. You know, the head honcho is Mullah Saeed Halabi, the leader and most wanted terrorist on the planet, as well as Ali Nassar. Yeah, the main protagonist from Enemy of State. Mitch throws a grenade into the cave, manages to 
kill pretty much everybody, including almost himself. The rock, the debris collapses on top of him. And Rap's able to escape with the help of Joe, Joe Maslick, you know, one of his, uh, his comrades. And he dug him out after the explosion, saved his life. And they had thought, and the country had thought, it was a successful attempt on Halabi and the ISIS network. We see here in the opening scene that Halabi did scrape and crawl his way out of the rubble. And though badly injured, would survive. Not as successful as we were led to believe at the end of Enemy of the State. Yeah, like, I don't know, this was a, I really enjoyed this start off to the book. Not only because it had me thinking, like, wait, this scene seems so familiar to me. Um, I like so much so I thought that I clicked on the wrong book on my Kindle, but then I realized like, oh, in that book, it, we were seeing it from the perspective of Mitch. This is like from the perspective, yep. you know, of of the ISIS terrorists or or from Halabi, I guess. So yep. as soon as I realized that, then I realized that you know, oh, they're just playing on it, and they're sort of coming back. So you know, this is like a signaling. We're moving away from Russia. We've dealt with mm-hmm. a lot of Russian themes in the past couple books. Uh, you know, culminating in in Red War, and now we're going back to ISIS and the terrorists that you know were in previous books. And so I just thought I, I like that was a good tactic to sort of bring us back, introduce a new character or, or an old character in a new way. Yep, exactly, exactly. So back to something familiar. The first scene almost feels familiar yeah. because we see Rap going into a cave yet again with new intel that Halabi is back inside it turns out he wasn't there but he was treated in that cave and he had just recently relocated but definitely it was a cave that he was in pretty cool assault in the cave did you did you like that part with cave, with rap going i in? didn't and one of the main things i really liked about it was the the kill with the crossbow yeah the fact that you know I, we always know that he's all about guns and but he but he also chooses his weapon for the scenario. True, and the the, right the attention the to detail and how he described the crossbow, I don't know. That was just sick. Like I, I don't think we've ever seen you know Mitrap kill someone with a crossbow. So yeah, and uh, so I read this book twice, and the first time that didn't it, it didn't stick mm-hmm. with me. You know, being yeah, me over a year later now, it didn't stick with me. But I'm listening to the audio book, and by the way, I did the my first George Goodell. Nice. Did you book. like it? Yeah. Unreal. I have to go back. I'm going to go listen to almost as many as I can. I highly recommend the audiobooks by Goodell. Yeah, he did great. But when I was listening to the audiobook, I actually remember this scene. I was cutting my lawn. I, I stopped. <laughs> I, I just stood there and I listened to the whole crossbow thing over again. And I was like, this book just opened with rap killing terrorists in a cave with a crossbow. It's sick. I, I listened to it on, on the audiobook like three <laughs> times. It was just that awesome. Once again, like Rap's picking the tool, knowing he's in a cave with the acoustics, even a silencer, you know, would make right. enough noise that's recognizable in that sound environment. The level of detail that he knew a crossbow hitting someone would just sound like a dull thud. You know, anybody would think Dropping someone threw something, dropped a sandbag or dropped heavy equipment, uh, just a, a regular old thud. That's crazy cool to have that in your writing. And so after this, we cut to Halabi, who, you know, was not in the cave. He's been wounded. He was wounded by that, you know, explosion. But he's also been hardened. And he's been a little bit of a changed man. And he's transformed ISIS leadership and how he views ISIS should go. 
he's brought in a group of highly intelligent men who can blend in very well. You know, they're all from the West, or they, they were educated in the West, so they can blend in and understand Western society really well. Uh, these are people who are, you know, they're scientists, businessmen, cinematog- he has a cinematographer, uh, computer geniuses, um, all who are going to help him along his plot in, the, in this novel. And he realizes that, you know, in the past, ISIS thought that they could confront the military of the West, but now they need to capitalize on the division and weakness of America with his new ideas. Right. I think the description we get of how Halabi has changed and grew, it's kind of weird to say he grew as a terrorist, but <laughs> he, he really he's did. He's grown as a character through that fa- the failures he's had. Yeah. The failures he's had. Him reasoning that out, you know, thinking, why did God spare me and leave right. me? If he wanted, if he didn't think ISIS was to start the caliphate, he would have killed me and wouldn't have needed me. And so he kind of gets a second wave, a rejuvenation of his spirit, and he wants to do it right. And he knows that's not being arrogant and thinking you can defeat the West. He thinks you need to infiltrate the right. West. You need to manipulate the right. West. And we even we even get this quote as he's thinking it, it through. In chapter 9, quote, While the time for savagery would come, it hadn't yet arrived. Manipulation was the secret to victory in the modern world, not force. And so Halabi, he's not going to underestimate America as a foe again. And we even see, you mentioned he brought the cameramen and the cinematographers. He's going to not just know Western-trained tactics and operations, He's also going to use our media and our technology against right. us, knowing how things go viral. You know, explosion videos on YouTube. He's going to use that against us as well, and that's a big that's a big theme in this. Yes, book. the the use of like propaganda and also mm-hmm. the use of like how to scan you know social media or scan technology to get ahead is very prevalent in in his group, and I think that that's. It's interesting to see, does ISIS actually have this capability? Absolutely. And it has that double meaning of we always keeping up Vince Flynn's style of the politicians also being the villains of the story very often. We're going to see Christine Barnett, and we could talk about this later on, how she also wants to manipulate public opinion and use the media. Right. It's almost two sides of yeah. the same coin. Halabi wants to take down America with this. She wants to take over, over America. America with yeah, this. Yeah, there, there's a lot both, of like, you know, bad. like similarity between the two of them. Yeah. So Now I like these scenes coming up next. We're in Yemen and we see Rap operating in Yemen after the cave assault. And he's sticking around uh, as part of the CIA intelligence, you know, apparatus to to gather intel on the ground and stay abreast of the movement of these terrorists. And I like the cafe scenes. We're in a small town, Al-Hudaida, uh, run by a Yemeni man named Carmen, who is on our side. He's been an informant working with the CIA. I like what we see there, rap operating in that environment. He really, we see more of that local persona that he can take yeah. on, particularly in the Arab uh, world. And I, just those cafe scenes, he just fits in so well. This is that's his element. He's able to blend in so easily to that environment. And it, it it's sort of in contrast to what we see later on in the book when he's put into a new environment. You know, we're seeing like both you know both sides of like what rap is. You know, in the beginning we're shown 
what he's best at, and then we're shown. I mean, he still like is a fucking badass, but like he's definitely out of his element in Mexico. You know. Yeah. Yeah. There's even one small little detail that I liked at the cafe. He's um, sitting around and he sees these two extortionists come around and they're going to all the businesses and basically shaking them down, you know, threatening them. And they're they're young kids, right, with with guns in their hands. And he sees one of them off in the distance take um, take a little girl away from her father on the street, you know, probably like a teenager. And um, he knows what's going to happen. He sees him taking her. And I feel like rap a younger rap, less seasoned rap would have jumped on that, gone right in, taken them out. And here he says, the mission is bigger than this one girl. He's kind of grown or become disillusioned to see that the world is so much more complex that he understands the bigger picture now. I mean, compare that to transfer power when he saves Anna. He had to act. Even when he's in Iraq and... He's undercover there. You know, he, he puts himself on blo- like in a precarious situation because he tries to save this girl from like I think it's from like one of the yeah. ISIS generals or something like that. In a couple books, he's grown to realize that oh, he can't do that every time. It, it's yep. super sad that he has to do that. But yeah, it's I, when he brought up the whole he had been in that same situation in Iraq. When he mentions that, it, it brought back that whole that whole book and the whole scene. Yep. That's right. And then he even he even moved to save Anna in the White House and he knew it could jeopardize the mission, but in his mind, the only answer is when you see an injustice, you gotta write it. Well now he sees injustice as this much bigger thing he's fighting. He even says Halabi was out there and he was going to hunt the bastard down and stick a knife in his eye socket, even if it meant doing the thing he hated most. Wait. And we never see rap with that level of patience. No, we don't. But, we, re- we he's growing. Rarely see him with that level of patience. Yeah, he's grown. He can't blow his cover, right? In public. Well, that's a theme that I think is built on for later on in the book too. With when he's in Mexico, he's just like, I could, like, I, I could fucking kill these guys right now. But it's like, no, I, I'm undercover. I need to like get information, yep. you know. So, yeah, it's interesting yep. to see it here. It's it's played out throughout the book. It makes you think if you know rap's getting older, right? We're always aware of that. It makes you think if he kind of steps back and, and lets someone new or younger people start taking on his role and they're less experienced, they were like he was when he was younger, would they jeopardize some, you know, would they put themselves in precarious situations? And um, do you need a seasoned person like him to make those calls and see the bigger picture? Right. While this is happening, we cut to a scene in a small remote Yemeni village with a group of people who are from Doctors Without Borders who are treating different patients for this very lethal disease. Uh, It's termed Yemeni Acute Respiratory Syndrome, or YARS. We're told that if it's not kept in check, it'd be a very serious problem. And so we're introduced to this doctor called Victoria Schaefer, who she is on a phone call with her boss, who's got this great news that the Saudi businessman wants to give her aid and the only thing is that she's in order to get the aid the the Saudi businessman had to get all this information about like the the area and we're also introduced at this time to the French scientist Gabriel Bertrand who Vicky or Victoria tells us he's only there because he wants to get his name in the science journals which I, I as a scientist 
as a biochemist, I found the portrayal of Bertrand highly <laughs> offensive. He is the everything that is wrong about science is highlighted in Gabriel Bertrand, and may, maybe maybe Kyle did that on purpose. But like you know, most of science is not like him. I just want to point out that very selfish. Yeah, like most he just wants a limelight for himself. There, there are. I'm not gonna lie. There are a lot of science. There, there are. Uh, you know, researchers. there are a lot of researchers who are who are like him. That's not the majority, though. How about this aspect, though, of you know, money talks? Victoria is trying to tell her boss of the Doctors Without Borders and this other NGO how serious this is and how they can't take it lightly and they need extraordinary amounts of supplies, and they almost jump to conclusions when the money comes in that all their problems are solved. Right. And she's trying to say how bad it is and this is terrible. And meanwhile, her boss has given access to this and all the data over to the Saudi businessman. And she's trying to say dangerous it could be if this disease gets out there or data about how deadly it is gets out there. And he's kind of writing her off saying, all our problems are solved. We got the money. The donation came through. He's kind of belittling her and her concerns just because they have enough money now. Everything will be fine. And she's like, it's bigger than money. It's bigger than this one donor. We've got serious problems if this gets out of this town and luckily they're in the middle of the Yemeni desert not a lot of folks coming in and out she even says they educated the public in this town why they can't go out and trade or why they can't have their normal life out and about and she pretty much is able to quarantine the entire town somewhat successfully it seems yeah this this scene was reading this scene now was you know obviously we're So this yeah. this whole book is, you know, and we're going to talk about this. I, I mean, I imagine we're going to talk about this in our next episode. But, you know, this whole book in today's age, in the moment right now, is kind of crazy because we are dealing with SARS-CoV-2, not YARS-CoV-2. Reading this novel really highlighted to me the potential that COVID could be. Obviously, it's not. Mm-hmm. But just like, you know, we need to sort of keep it in check because stuff like this does happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure Kyle was basing a lot of the research on SARS, right, on which SARS. gets mentioned in the book quite a bit, which we, we had, you know, generally successful levels of containment. You know, it was it was terrible for the victims, but generally contained as from becoming a, a worse pandemic. But just look at the way this YARS is described in the book and reflect back on the last, you know, five months of right. what we've been through. 30% of survivors are permanently disabled. It took healthy adults at the same rate as it took children and elderly. So there's a key difference of YARS being even more deadly, that it also affects and takes children's lives. 25 people had died in a village of only 75. The disease was even worse because the war cut off the town's food supplies. So you also had starving residents who then had to go into the caves, and it's hypothesized. And Kyle writes this in the book. That this whole thing began because they ate bats, which is one of the theories you know, about the wet market in China. Even casual contact with someone who's sick comes with over a 50% infection rate. But the worst thing is how long the virus seems to be able to survive on surfaces. We have credible evidence of people getting sick sick after touching things handled by a victim 72 hours before. What if someone infected went through an airport? They could push a button on an elevator or touch the check-in counter and have people carry it all over the world. How would we stop it? It takes on a whole different light in today's day and age. Yep. Like really before does. it's scary and now it's like 
more scary. Yep. Yep. But also comparing it to COVID, I was worried in the beginning about surfaces. Oh, yeah. And you and a lot of people. Sp- spread through surfaces. I think, thankfully, the research has shown that that's it's not, not a case, main way yeah. it spreads, and it doesn't really survive as long as initial reports were saying. Can you imagine, though, if in this book, Yars, 72 hours it lived on surfaces and was just as infectious yeah. as if it were airborne? Like, I mean, obviously, like COVID man. is very different than yours. Like, let's just sure. let's just put that out there. COVID is very different yeah. than yours. We're not trying to, but it's just like to think like what the possibility of like what COVID could have been. You know, this is what COVID, the worst COVID could have been. You know what I mean? Yep. So yep. Anyways, move on. Moving on from our science, our science debate. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the book though doesn't also doesn't take place in Yemen. So we see a lot of the early action taking place around this village. But we also see a lot of politicking in Washington, and we meet Christine Barnett. She's a senator running for president. I think you could say she's very cutthroat. Yes. She is quite Machiavellian. She even hires Kevin Gray as her chief of staff and campaign manager, who is known as a brilliant and very cunning political strategist, but also someone who is equally ruthless. And they're learning that Halabi is not dead, that he's alive, and he took these uh, scientists and doctors as hostages. Christine Barnett, who is the presidential candidate, is so excited to hear this. She's like out of her mind happy that Mitch Rapp and the CIA didn't win because it shows a failure of the establishment, yep. a failure of the Alexander administration. And all she sees completely blinded is how she can use this to her advantage. The terrorists become a secondary concern. She actually gets giddy that Halabi has gone into this Yemeni village and has the potential to have a bioweapon. Like, she's excited about that, you know? Because it shows yeah. a failure in the Alexander party, and, and, you know, she's spinning it to see how she can take advantage of this. Yeah, so just like the terrorists are spinning it, spinning the message with their propaganda videos, she equally wants to spin this in the media, and she says, quote, with the right message repeated enough times on enough media outlets, you could turn the American people against Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, she's just ready to exploit yeah. this thing. She looks at the American voters as, you know, sheeple. And, you know, she can change their mind just by her headlines in the in the papers. Yep. And so we have both Barnett finding out about this from the TVs. But at the same time, we have Rap, who's at the cafe back in Alhudeida. Smoking cigs, drinking tea. He said he smoked like, I don't know, yep. a couple packs of cigs, and he said he drank like a shit ton of tea. He's blending in, yeah. Man. And on the TV, he sees this propaganda video that Halabi has released, and he notices like this is highly trained men that were taking this village, and it's not your average ISIS fighter. But then he also it cuts to Barnett, who's jockeying to claim that you know it's the CIA that really fucked this up. So he can already tell that like what what her MO is. You know, after he sees this, he receives a call from Claudia and gets word that there's a helicopter that's gonna with Scott and his men that are gonna pick him up and take him to that village so he can check it out. Yep. At the same time Halabi has then moved obviously he's set up shop in this other village where 
you know, apparently it was kind of interesting that whole story about the um, Americans or um, Europeans had set up a coffee bean village, um, but quickly like abandoned it once they realized that they couldn't set up shop in like a war torn country. Well, this is where coffee came from. You know, Arabica beans, you see it at Starbucks all the time. Like Yemen is, is where coffee was first grown. Did you know oh, that? I didn't know that. Yeah, there's also there's another word that comes from it's an Arabic based word because of Yemen with coffee. Like the Arabica beans. Oh, and mocha. The word mocha. Mocha is was originally where in Yemen they grew coffee. Oh, I didn't know so that. Oh, cool. The English word mocha literally comes from Yemeni coffee. Hmm. Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he sets up shop in this abandoned coffee village, and he has this propaganda lab underground where he has this diseased sheep carcass that has anthrax with it. And he makes all these videos that he sends to the U.S. to show like that he has this uh, the ability to make anthrax, and he has these uh, you know doctors and, and scientists who can make it for him. And but this is not the real thing, and he. That's the distraction. Yeah, he begins to allude that this is all, you know, a distraction, and that he states, you know, we still don't know that he he we at this time we believe that all the people in the village with the R's were killed, but he states in 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 his like monologue that pathogens and technologies, those are the new weapons of power, not, you yeah. know, nukes and grenades, but pathogens and technology. That's what he believes are the new weapons. Yep. And so as he's doing all that plotting, Rap is also planning with Coleman and the boys to uh, assault the town. They basically want to check out if the intel is true. Was this town completely sealed off? They're wearing complete PPE and protective gear in addition to all their military gear. And they're under strict orders to keep the PPE intact, to really not interact in any way with the virus. And they get there, and it's all sealed off. And we get a pretty good scene. I don't know what you thought about this desert fight scene. One of the best scenes in the book. Absolutely. This desert um, assault. So it's an ambush. They get dropped in, and the helicopter that dropped them off gets shot down. They're, they're under fire, and we really see Rap maneuvering and commanding the group. And he comes to a conclusion. So they're getting shot at. They move a certain direction. And what he realizes is all the bullets are missing them, but everything he's seen so far indicates that the men are highly trained. As we know, Halabi wanted Western-educated and Western-trained foot soldiers, and Rap is wondering, why are they missing so much if I've, I've interacted with Halabi's men and know, and I've seen them move, I know how good they are. And they just took down the helicopter. They obviously can hit things. They took down a helicopter, and he's like, none of us have been shot yet. And he's he's kind of thinking, like, what are they trying to do? Well, they're trying to funnel him in a certain direction. And he realizes this is a capture mission. Yep. This is not a kill mission. Every time Rap is shot at, you know, they're pushing him towards a certain direction, you know, let's say east. And eventually he realizes that's where they're going to capture him. He commands everyone to start moving a, a different direction. And they're like, are you crazy? They're going to hit us from there. We're, we're wide open. And Rap says, they don't care about killing the other men. They just Halabi want rap. gave them orders. They want rap. But with the pr the protective gear, 
with all the PPE they're wearing they to tell. stay insulated from the virus, they can't tell which one is wrap. So you can't, you, they can't shoot any of them. Right. Pretty smart right there. I really enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, I did too. That was a cool scene. Just like the, how quickly Rab is able to f- deduce, you know, what's going on. And like the, yep. that, that was cool. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I like, I like how it's described. He even says, quote, the men couldn't have been more different than the ones he was keeping tabs on in Al Hudaida. They moved more like seals than the undisciplined psychos that he's he'd come to expect from ISIS. More evidence of Halabi's efforts to turn this organization into a tighter, more modern force. And that's when he realizes these guys shouldn't be missing. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. So as they're under fire in this village, Rap makes the final call. They don't know which one's me, so they can't shoot. And he's going to escape a different direction. And so he commands Scott and the boys, who are very reluctant to head up a ridge, yes. up into the hills. And Rap is going to draw the fighters away as he goes the other direction, deeper into the desert. And it ends up working. There's brief. There's a brief shootout, but Coleman gets away, and they escape to safety. Meanwhile, Rap's being tracked by a team of guys, highly trained guys, out in the middle of an open desert. Yeah, and we even learn from, like, Halabi that he's burying him like they believe that he's burying himself at night and then coming out and like you know coming in and killing some of their group and taking it in and you know all this stuff and i really enjoyed the scene where scott is talking to irene and being like you know we don't we don't know where the hell he is he could be like they're figuring out him out it was a couple of days amount of hours yeah yeah and then next thing you know boom doors open there's this dusty old man in fatigues who asked for the water on the table and it's freaking Mitch Rapp. That, that was great. Uh, he busts into the yeah, cafe. The, I love that. The first time I read it, I was confused. And then the second time I read it, I was like, that's badass. It's like, a, when you think about it more like a movie, it's like, yep. boom. Yep. At first I had the same reaction. I'm like, oh, they're just going to make him come back. No action. He's just, he survived. Wow. But they give us a couple of lines of, right. No, this is where he excels. We hear it from Halabi and, and talking to his men. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleeping in holes, picking guys up. And then he'd use their supplies. Yeah, he'd use their supplies. He'd survive yeah. off their supplies. He'd sleep in this hole, kill another couple of guys, live off their supplies, and um, quintessential rap right there. I love that. I feel like in previous novels, we would get more... That would be a chapter, right? Yeah. Whereas now, yeah. we're moving past that. We just had a pretty awesome desert fight, so we didn't necessarily need it. And having him show up in the cafe when Scott and the crew is like, Mitch is going to be Mitch out there. There's nothing we can do right now. And boom, he's back. That's just, it was awesome. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And there's so much action to come. That's the thing about Lethal Agent. It's non It's nonstop. We haven't even gotten to Mexico and the drug no, cartels. I know. Yet. We're like, just in the first third of the book. <laughs> it's crazy. And all that just went down. While all that is happening, uh, Halabi is, he has these three hostages. They're trying to come up with a plan. And I thought this was really interesting how, I feel like Vince and Kyle, to some extent, set up these characters. And I thought that Victoria was going to be a pretty big character throughout the entire Sorry. novel. And these three people, like, they're, yeah, Bertrand is like, he makes it to. I don't know, he ends up dying at the end, spoiler alert, but like, they're not that big of a deal, you know? And yeah. in this scene, you know, they're all talking and boom, the her nurse gets killed and then she gets taken off to be tortured just as an instrument to have Bertrand 
agree to make the anthrax. I, I thought that was like that to me. I, I really thought she was going to be a more, you know, a player in the, in the the universe or the, the story. Yep, she came on strong. Yeah, she came on very professional, very motivated and dedicated, like the good doctor. And it was it was almost like one of those moments where they give you so much about a character where they write them with a really amazing story and persona then boom they kill him off and it's just whoa it, you know i was taken aback too all right so that's the first half of our summary of lethal agent our summary was getting pretty long so we're going to cut it into two parts so next week, tune in for the rest of our episode summarizing Lethal Agent. We'll get to the very end of the book. And then the week after that, two weeks from now, we will release our final review and our final ratings of what we thought. We'll also include a discussion of some various topics and themes that were prevalent throughout the book. Also, Mike is going to be posting the Lethal Agent book covers so recent books, there's not many to choose from, but uh, still, he's going to post that on Twitter. We're interested to see what you like. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at mitrappod.com or using our Twitter handle at mitrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks. Ooga chaka, ooga, ooga, ooga chaka. (laughs) Ooga chaka.